0: what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for this truth that the cross reminds us of our past and it reminds us of our sin, but the resurrection of Jesus reminds us of the newness of life that is found in you. Father, as we leave this place, Lord, help our hearts to burn within us. Take our hearts from a place of being slow to believe to a place filled with hope. Lord, I pray that you would speak To your children that you would speak to your sheep for your word says your sheep know your voice and a stranger they will not follow. And I pray today, Father God, that you would bring about new sheep. Not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. The matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever tried to drive in the midst of a great fog? Have you ever tried to make your way through a, a foggy situation? If you have, then you know that driving through fog can be very scary. Fog, though it seems innocent, can be deadly. And our hopes while we try to navigate through a physical fog is that we can see the taillights of someone before us. That we can see the lights of the vehicle that is traveling in front of us. Recently, in Indiana, there was a a church van that was trying to drive through fog. and, And unfortunately, as many of you know, that church van was flipped over and some people died a tragic death. Fog can cause harm. And just like physical fog, there is a spiritual fog. A spiritual fog is a a darkened state of doubt or disbelief. And some of us in this room have gathered together this Sunday morning to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. But if we're honest with ourselves, we are sitting in the midst of a spiritual fog. We are trying to navigate through disbelief, doubt, and delusion. For some of you... You have come into the sanctuary today doubting the very existence of Jesus, doubting the very historicity of the scripture. And for others others of us, you are in a fog of doubt, and this doubt looks a little different. You are doubting whether or not God loves you. You are doubting whether or not he cares. You are doubting whether or not he has the power to resurrect your situation from the tomb of despair. And what we all need in here, no matter how strong our doubts or how little our doubt is, is we all need faith. We all need the Holy Spirit to empower us to walk away with an attitude that says, for all, I trust him. Corey Tim Bloom says this. She says, Faith is like a radar that sees through the fog, the reality of things at a distance the, that the human eye cannot see. Faith is like a radar that sees through the fog. My prayer this morning is that as we leave, that we would have this radar of faith. And that is why Luke is writing this gospel. He is writing this gospel so that a disciple by the name of Theophilus would have clarity on who Jesus is and what has taken place. Theophilus was a disciple the, of Luke's, and according to Luke chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Luke says this It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. An excellent disciple by the name of Theophilus probably had some doubts, probably had some moments of despair, probably needed more clarity about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Disciples can have doubts too. Disciples need clarity too. Disciples are met With fog too. And Luke wants to clear that up. In fact, I believe Luke's main point in Luke chapter 24 is this. It's come out of the fog of doubt and see the sun clearly. Come out of the fog of doubt and see the resurrected Jesus clearly. He's writing to Theophilus, and he said, Theophilus, I need you to come out of your, your spiritual fog, and I need you to have certainty about what you believe so that you can be on mission for Jesus. And that's God's desire for us all. In fact, Luke pens this letter with, with precision. He goes around interviewing people in order to see what they believe. He's not just stumbling upon a story or writing a story uh, as he goes on, just kind of making it up on the fly. No, this is written with great detail because he wants to show the disciples of Jesus that what they believe has a sure foundation. And there may be someone here today who doubts that the Bible is the word of God. And I want you to embrace the Bible and see it as a historical book with historical facts and that it is the truth, and that the writers were writing with an intentionality. In Luke chapter 24, there's three scenes. The first scene is the scene of an empty tomb. There are women who were with Jesus who run to the tomb on Sunday morning with spices in order to take care of the body of Jesus. But when they get there, the tomb is empty and the Bible says that they meet two angels and it describes these angels as having dazzling apparel. They were dressed to a tee. And that's why we dress up for Easter. I'm just joking. No, it's not. Amen. But they meet these angels and these angels say, no, nope, he's not here. They go back to the disciples, and they tell the disciples the tomb is empty, just as Jesus has said. Some of the disciples run down to the tomb to see for themselves, while others sit in disbelief. But then in the second and third section, we see that Lucas is is writing with great precision again. He's not just stumbling upon a story or making it up as he goes. He writes it with great detail. And there are similarities in the second and third scene. One similarity is that in both stories, the story that we're going to deal with today and in the next story, when Jesus appears to the disciples, the disciples don't recognize who he is. In the story we're about to go through, they don't know who he is. They just think he's a man, a, a visitor. In the story that comes right after this, they think that he's a ghost. Another similarity with the stories is that in both stories, Jesus opens up the scriptures and begins to teach the disciples how the Old Testament pointed to him. Another similarity in the stories is that in both stories, Jesus takes time to eat with the disciples and to have a meal. Another similarity in both stories is that in both stories, Jesus miraculously and supernaturally disappears. Luke is writing the story with great intentionality under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that Theophilus, the disciple, will come out of the fog of death into into clarity with the (laughs) Son. And God wants you to see this story so that you can come out of the fog of your doubts and to see the S-O-N, the resurrected Jesus with clarity. So as we look at this text, we see... That in the first four verses, that there are two disciples walking on a road called Emmaus. The Bible says that Emmaus is about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And I love what the Bible says. The Bible says that as they were walking on the road of Emmaus, they were talking and discussing about the things that just happened. I love how it says they were talking and discussing about the things that happened because it probably points to the fact that they were in a heated conversation. They are trying to make sense of what happened on Friday. Because on Friday, their rabbi, their teacher, was crucified outside of Jerusalem on Calvary's mountain. And he was dead. And they're trying to make sense of this thing. And as they're walking and discussing and they're in this heated conversation, the Bible says that Jesus appears. And Jesus kind of comes up alongside of them. But the Bible says that they did not recognize who he was, for God kept it hidden from them. And one of the reasons I believe that God kept Jesus' appearance supernaturally hidden from his disciples is because Jesus was on mission. And that mission was to draw out the disciples' doubt and disbelief. Jesus met them in the midst of their confusion. Jesus met them in the midst of their mess. Jesus met them in the midst of their doubts. And he acts like he has no idea what's going on so that he can transform the way they think. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 says that a man's heart is like a deep well but a man of understanding knows how to draw the water out. I'm so glad that Jesus knows my heart. I'm so glad that I, call, I serve a, ser, uh, a savior that's wise and that meets me in my confusion. I'm so glad that I serve a servant, a, a king, a, a messiah that's not afraid of my crazy. Does anybody have some crazy that's going on inside of you from time to time? Aren't you glad that God isn't afraid of your crazy? Aren't you glad that God isn't afraid of your doubts? Aren't you glad that God isn't afraid of your brokenness? Aren't you glad that God isn't afraid of your questions? Aren't you glad that God isn't afraid of your confusion? I'm so glad that God meets me in my confusion, that he meets me in my doubt. Well, oh, y'all didn't come to have church this morning, but I'm going to preach anyhow. We serve a God that meets us where we are, but praise be to God that he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us messed up, jacked up, and confused. But if we're willing, he walks with us through the confusion. So the text says that Jesus walked with the disciples. He came up alongside of them, and he asks a question. He says, what are y'all talking about? He says, what are y'all talking about? And the Bible says that the disciples, they stopped walking. Yeah. He said, what did this man ask us? And the Bible says their faces, were was filled with sadness. See the picture. Two disciples who loved Jesus, who had hope, finds out that he's dead. Found it out because they weren't courageous enough to go see it themselves. Jerusalem is a buzz. People are confused. They're debating, who was Jesus? Where did he really come from? If he wasn't who he said he is, how did he do all the things that he did? A stranger comes up to him and says, what happened this week? And they stop and they say, man, you didn't read the newspaper. You didn't check the New York Times? They say, man, who how do you not know what has happened? Look at your Bibles. And it says in verse number 18, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know that the things that have happened There in these days and he said to them what things and they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive, verse 24, and some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see, says what happened, and they begin to open up to him and say this is what happened, but what we have to see in this text, if we're going to move from doubt and see, from the fog of doubt and see the sun clearly, and we, we've got to be real. And we've got to keep it real. We've got to be aware of what's going on in our heart and be willing to share it with people. These disciples are confused. A man comes alongside of them and they begin to share. This is what happened. This is where we are. This is how we feel. God wants you to be real. I want you to be real with your doubts, real with your fears. You don't have to hide those doubts. The church is a place where you can bring those doubts and discuss those doubts and have confidence that there is an answer for your doubts. Their response was, listen, a mighty prophet, a man who was powerful in words and deeds, is dead. A mighty prophet. That is a great compliment to be called a mighty prophet. To be called someone who is mighty in word and deed. And that's exactly who Jesus was and what he was. He was mighty in word. The Bible says that when he preached, people walked away saying that he doesn't preach like everyone else. He preaches as one with authority. And he preached as one with authority because he is the author of life. He was mighty in word. He preached a liberating message, a message of grace, a message that says, come all you who are laden and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But he was mighty indeed. He was mighty in powers. They had not seen someone who was able to do the things that he did. He raised a man from the dead. He healed a woman with the issue of blood. He cleansed lepers. They had not seen someone who went against the religious leaders of the day with such vigorous truth but they left them with the title of prophet. And God said, I love you too much to be confused about who my son is. Jesus said, "I love you. I love you too much to be confused about who I am. Muslims believe he's a prophet. Jews would even maybe give you the fact that he was a prophet, but Jesus is much more than a prophet. Jesus is God. They also revealed that not only was Jesus mighty in word and je- in deed, but Jesus was murdered by the chief priests and the rulers. Now, Technically, it was the Romans who nailed him to a cross, but it was the religious rulers of the day out of jealousy and spite that murdered him. They said not only was he a mighty prophet indeed, but, but they said he left us with dashed hopes. They said clearly in the text, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. We had hoped that he would uh, be the Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. They had dashed hopes. They had political hopes. He was supposed to free the Jews from Roman oppression. He was supposed to be the son of David. And bring us hope. Have you ever had dashed hopes? Have you ever went to God wanting something so bad? And as you go to God praying, you are certain that it is God's will and then it comes out and it turns out to be something different. Some of you are sitting in dashed hopes right now. You thought you thought. You thought that the marriage was going to be so easy, but it's been so hard. You thought that when God called you to go back to school that the money was going to be there, but you've had to struggle for every penny. And now in the midst of your dashed hopes, you are wondering whether or not God cares, whether or not God loves you. As you look through the narrative of your story, you're wondering, how could you, God, allow this to happen to me? God meets us in the midst of our dashed hopes and he, he doesn't leave us there. If we walk with him, he will help us to interpret the things that happen and one day we will come to the conclusion that God knows what's best. That's what trust is. That's what faith is. Faith and trust is an attitude that says, God, I believe that if I knew everything that you knew, that I would come to the same conclusion. If I had the same view that you have of my life, at the end of my life, I would come to the same conclusion that God worked out what was best in my life for my good and His glory. Faith is not a short-sightedness. Faith is a panoramic view believing that everything is under control, even when it seems that it's not. See, they wanted a Messiah that will wear a crown. But they didn't realize that he first had to wear a cross. See, they wanted a Messiah that was promoting and living in exaltation, but what they did not realize is that first there had to be humiliation. See, they wanted a Messiah that would reign and rule, but what they did not realize is they first had to have a Messiah that would be ruled. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Jesus came as a suffering Savior. Yes, thank you. And one day he will come back as the ruling king. And in your own life, in your own narrative, in your own story, you have to trust that God knows what he's doing. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your doubts, in the midst of your confusion, you have to know that God loves you and that he is walking with you through it. And at the given time, he will give you the grace that you need. Amen. To say all things are working together for my God. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for the good. But you can be honest with God. You can can tell him how you feel. You can can tell him where you are. I love what verse 23 and 24 says. It shows that that a, a message of hope had been preached to him. The Bible says that these women ran to the disciples. And they said the tomb is empty, the tomb is empty. And the disciples did not believe. The good news that was preached. Why? Because the idea of a man raising, being raised from the dead was too big for them. The idea of Jesus after being dead for three days, conquering death was too big for them. Even though Jesus had prophesied and told them that it would happen. Jesus one day was talking to the disciples and to a crowd, and he said, Just as Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of of the earth. But he will rise. Just as the temple is destroyed, he said, In three days I will raise up this temple. Jesus even told him more clearly than that. He said, if you're going to follow after me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Jesus told him even more clearly throughout the the Gospels as he was getting closer to the Via Dolorosa, the road of sorrow. He constantly told him, the Son of Man will die, but he will rise again. See, God is so good. He's so deep. He's so... Beautiful. His vision for eternity, his vision for our life is greater than our minds can comprehend. And that's exactly why we need him. We need him to help us to see what we don't see. We need him to step into our confusion and our doubts and to bring clarity. We need him to walk with us and to talk with us. And I'm so glad that he does. I'm so glad that he does. But the second thing we see here, we see that they search the scriptures with Jesus. They search the scriptures with Jesus. The Bible says in verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Jesus pointed them to the scriptures because he wanted them to see the scripture's testimony. He wanted them to see that it was necessary for him to be crucified. And then in verse 27, it says, "In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wow. Jesus walks with them. He hears their doubts and their confusion. He sees the fog and he says, let me bring clarity. And how does he seek to bring clarity? He brings clarity by pointing them to the word of God. And as I said before, he doesn't just do that in this story, but he does it in the next. In verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In two scenes with disciples he made it a point to point them back to the Old Testament to show that he is who he said he is and that these things, his sufferings, had to happen. Look how patient he is. Look how compassionate he is. Look how gracious he is. I wonder, I wonder where he started and what he pointed out. Maybe he started in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The first promise of a God-man who would crush Satan, who would step on his head and only bruise his heel, pointing to the cross. Or maybe he took them to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, where he called Abraham out of Ur. And promised him that he would be the father of many nations. Maybe he took them to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and 15. Where God spoke to Moses and said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And then in John chapter 7, verse 40, we see that Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And the people end up saying, you, surely this man is the prophet. This man is the brother who Moses spoke of. Maybe Jesus showed him Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Which says, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Maybe he took them to Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Psalm 110, maybe he took them to Micah 2, Isaiah 53. I believe that he showed them who he was through the scriptures, but I believe... He did much more than what I mentioned. I believe that he went through all the Old Testament and showed them stuff that we probably are yet to discover that pointed to him. In the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed in the new. He is revealed, as some say. Jesus pointed them to search the scriptures. We live in a day and time where people say they want God, say they want to be changed, say they want to know Jesus, but won't touch the scriptures. We we often say, Lord, I just want to hear your voice. And as it has been said, if you want to hear the voice of God, read your Bible out loud. For he has already spoken. And he has spoken through his son Jesus. Amen. Scriptures point to Jesus. The Old Testament shows him off, and Jesus took the time to show them where he was in the Bible. Our prayers that we would, that we won't, that we would search the Scriptures, that we would investigate whether or not Jesus is the risen king. Yes, a preacher is telling you to investigate whether or not he is king. I'm telling you to, to cry out to, to God and to say, Lord, if you are, if you exist, if you are the God who Christians say you are, then show yourself to me. I dare you to do it. I dare you to go on a journey and to look at the facts. It's a man by the name of Lee Strobel who I recently heard speak here in Louisville. And he is an atheist, he was an atheist turned Christian. And he was a popular writing and an award winning writing. He wrote uh, as the legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. And Lee Strobel in, in 1981 gave his life to Jesus. And what caused him to give his life to Jesus is number one, his wife, who also was an atheist, who also really was more agnostic, came to give her life to Jesus, and Jesus transformed her. Jesus made her into a new person. But the second thing that brought Ali Strobel to Christ was that he decided to investigate the facts. As an award-winning legal analysis, he decided to put to use the things that he would put to use to win a legal case he looked at all of the historical information and he began to discover that there was a man named Jesus who really lived. And as he looked at all of the facts and as he applied all of the legal analysts that he would normally to apply as a award-winning legal editor, he found out that the facts outweighed what others were saying. He ended up giving his life to Jesus. He ended up writing over 20 books. He ended up becoming a a New York Times bestseller. He is on fire for Jesus. He told a story of him being at a restaurant and as he was walking into the restaurant, he heard two people talking and he misheard them. He thought that they were talking about Jesus and that they had questions about God. And he stopped and he just unloaded on them and talked about God and talked about the risen Savior. And after dumping all of this on them for for minutes, they stopped him and said, what are you talking about? That's not what we said. Why? Because his heart was burning within him. Because he investigated the scriptures. He investigated the testimonies. And Jesus proved to be true. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here this morning, to investigate the evidence. Investigate. And you will find that he's true. Be like Lee Strobel. Don't be like a a man that I know named Larry. Larry was a Jew. One day when I was in a coffee shop sitting there reading my Bible, he came up to me and he said, I- I've seen you multiple times in this coffee shop just reading your Bible. Is it, is it that good to you? I said, yes, man, is, is that good to me. And he sat down and he began to ask me about the Bible. He told me that they, he's awaiting the Messiah and that he's a Jew and he doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So he asked me to show from the Old Testament where Jesus was. And by God's grace, I'm thinking, man, this is this is a softball. Yeah. And then I was thinking, man, I wish I had my notes from seminary, right? <laughs> But we begin to open up the scriptures, and I begin to take him through the promises of the Messiah and show him in the New Testament how those were fulfilled. At the end of the conversation, he said, let's meet again. I met him again in the coffee shop, and I talked to him some more about the Old Testament, some more about Jesus. Then he said, let me come to your church. And he came to Forest Baptist Church one day and visited, and afterwards, he said, man, this is really good stuff. I've never heard it explained this way. And then he said, let's meet one more time. Then I met him in the coffee shop one more time, and with tears. Tears in his eyes, he says something to the effect as I see Jesus and I see your point. And I said, well, the Bible says that all you have to do is cry out to him and all you have to do is ask him to save you and he will save you. All you have to do is call upon his name and he looked at me and he said, I cannot. And I said, why can't you call on the name of Jesus? He said, because my family will disown me. He allowed his doubts, he allowed his disbelief, he allowed his disillusionment to cut him off from the Savior. In fact, so much so that when I would see him at that coffee shop, he literally acted like he had never seen me and we had never had a conversation. I saw him twice around Louisville and he just completely ignored me. If you search, if you investigate, if you allow the Lord to to walk with you, I am confident that you'll finance. Look at how the disciples respond in verse 28. They respond to his grace. It says, so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he walked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus wants these disciples to come out of the fog. He, He is okay with them being real about their current state. He shows them in the scriptures who he is, and then he gives them an opportunity to respond to his grace. The Bible says that it's getting late, and they're walking on the road of Emmaus, and they get to where they're supposed to be, and Jesus kind of faked them out a little bit. He was like, all right, y'all, I'll talk to y'all later. And the Bible says that they look, and they say, stop, stop, what are you doing? And they strongly encouraged him to stay with them. They they came up with reasons why not to let him go. They said, it is getting late. You shouldn't be walking out here this late at night. It's dark. It's dangerous. And they do this because they want to hear more. They want to spend more time with them. And Jesus is gracious. And he comes and he sups with them. Once God has re. Reveal to us who he is. Once he has stepped in, it is our responsibility to respond to his grace. Grace is undeserved favor. It's unmerited favor. It is our responsibility to accept him and to invite him to be Lord. And that's what these disciples do. They Invite him, and they strongly say, come with us. They beg him to come into him. And if you're here today you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you today to put your doubts aside, to hear what I'm saying as truth, to hear what the scriptures say, that Jesus is more than a prophet, that Jesus is the God-man, and to strongly beg God to do a work in your heart, Amen. to give you a desire to know him, and to see him as Lord. And he will come in, and he will sup with you. He will dine with you. The Bible says if you can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he is risen from the grave, you shall be saved. The Bible says that Jesus comes in and he sups with the disciples and they are eating bread. And I love what it says in verse 30. He says that when he uh, ate with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. God allowed the the scales to come off of their eyes and they were able to see who he is. They were reminded of all the other times that they ate with him. They're reminded of the time where he fed 5,000 and he blessed the bread before feeding them. They were reminded of the time uh, on the night that he was betrayed in that room with the disciples that he blessed the bread and broke it. And they were transformed. And they saw the risen Jesus. Will you respond to God's grace? Will you recognize that you do not deserve salvation. Will you recognize that you are a sinner in need of God? Will you recognize like they had to recognize in verse 25, Jesus confronted them with their foolishness. He confronted them with their unbelief. He didn't just cuddle it. He accepted it at first, but then he confronted them with it. He said, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe, If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, I want you to see that he is compassionate, to see that he is gracious, to see that it is good that you have come to walk with him today, but to see that if you leave here without responding to his grace, that you are foolish. And that the only one who can bring you from foolishness to having your heart burn with the love from Jesus is God. And that you desperately need this God. And that this God is waiting for you and ready to transform you. But you need to cry out to Him for salvation. Don't ignore the tug of the Spirit today that is telling you that you have an opportunity to be made new. Don't ignore the cry of the Spirit that is calling you to repent, to turn from your sins, to have a change of mind about your sins and to trust in Jesus. Don't ignore the spirit believer that is telling you to to lay your doubts, to lay your delusions in front of me and let me deal with you with them. Don't ignore it. Invite him in. See him as the the resurrected king. See him as more than a prophet, as more than a teacher. See him as the one who is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we could ask or think. When our eyes are open, we are made new and it transforms the way we see the world. It transformed the disciples. The Bible says that they went from foolish hearts to hearts that were burning. They went from hearts that were slow to believe to hearts that were excited about what they saw. The Bible says that they ran back seven miles to tell the rest of the disciples that same hour. Now, wait a minute. These were the same disciples who had just told Jesus, it's getting too late. You should come and eat with us. You should not go any farther. These same disciples who were worried about how dark it was and how late it was and who were tired, once they encountered the resurrected Jesus, they were renewed with e- the wings of, of eagles. They got up and they said, man, this, he just disappeared on us. That's so dope. That's so fresh. Let's go tell everybody else. And seven miles they reigned. I don't know if they were in shape or out of shape, but I know they got to those other disciples, and the Bible says that they preached. See, once you have encountered the resurrected Jesus, once you realize that you are saved by grace and not by works, once you realize how good he is and how sweet he is, you start doing stuff that you would never do before. You start going places that you would never go before. You you start saying, you know, I'm no longer afraid of the dark because I have seen the light. You start going up to people and telling them your story because you know that God has brought you from a mighty long way. I'm so glad that I serve a risen king. I'm so glad that I serve one who is able. I'm so glad that I serve the prince of peace. I'm so glad that I serve the king of kings. I'm so glad that I serve one who was willing to die the death that I deserve so that I can live the life that I could not afford. I'm so glad that Jesus went to Calvary's cross. God got this healed and he didn't say a mumbling word. But he got up on the third day with all power in his hand. I'm so glad that I serve one who is a conqueror. One who can make a way out of no way. One who is the bomb and Gilead. One who is a bridge over troubled water. I'm so glad that I serve a king who's not afraid of my craziness. Not afraid of my mess. And who's not afraid of what has been written. But who says, if you want to see, if you want to believe, go to what is written. Because it's true. Wherever you are right now. Wherever you are right now. Whatever your past says about you. Whatever you did last night. Whatever brokenness you have. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can wash you. Jesus can make you new. Trust him. Follow those lights out of the fall. Watch him. Watch him make a way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word.